You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off this week. We start with breaking details and that shocking scene that unfolded in front of ferry passengers at the Departure Bay Terminal in Nanaimo this morning. A police shooting leaving one man dead. Kylie Stanton is live near the terminal tonight. And Kylie, you've just learned some new information about how this all started. Well, yes, Chris, we've just learned that the carjacking took place in Penticton on Monday night and the other driver involved sustained some serious injuries. But it all ended here at Departure Bay earlier this morning with some scary moments. Shots ring out and police swarm. That was close. Ferry passengers waiting just on the other side of this chain-linked fence watch as the takedown unfolds. They set off a spike trip, blew out the guy's tire, then I seen the white truck ram the teal station wagon. A few seconds later I heard what I believe to be gunshots uh, being fired. Uh, and then I think we all knew something was very much wrong. The station wagon was one of the first off the ferry coming into Departure Bay just after 10 o'clock this morning when traffic came to a stop. Would all drivers and passengers please remain with your vehicles for safety reasons. Thank you. RCMP had linked the vehicle to a violent carjacking in the southeastern part of the province, tracking it on the mainland to the Horseshoe Bay Terminal, intercepting it and the driver on the other side. Vehicle was stopped by police and a takedown was initiated. Uh, it resulted in a uh, uh, what police believe the individual with a firearm, and shots were fired resulting in the serious injuries to the suspect, which later resulted in his death. Coroner's service is investigating. Did they shoot him? Cool. They shot something. So too is the police watchdog, which investigates any incident between police and the public that leads to serious injury or death. We are currently engaged in a forensic examination of the scene. Uh, we have about 10 people on the ground in Nanaimo right now. We'll be uh, looking for video evidence um, and all of the things that we normally do, radio traffic, that type of thing, uh, to determine what happened here. For now, the exit lanes off the ferry remain closed, with all vehicle traffic being diverted to the loading area, creating slight delays. A minor inconvenience given the earlier circumstances. Many here thankful no innocent bystanders were hurt. The road does narrow there, and it's in between a building and a hillside. So if it was planned, it was a very good place to have a police incident. And Kylie, obviously RCMP knew this guy was on the ferry. How much do we know about what BC Ferries was aware of in, in uh, in the time frame of when he got off the ferry. Well, we're not quite sure exactly, but some of the witnesses we did speak to earlier today suspected they were in the loop, at least in the loop. They uh, say that staff remained calm, seemed prepared, even had a plan to divert traffic away from the scene at a moment's notice. BC Ferries, however, did not comment on the matter today. Chris? Obviously took a little bit of planning. Okay, thanks very much for that, Kylie Stanton in Nanaimo. Border officers showing off a significant weapon seizure at the Pacific Highway crossing today. A search of a vehicle uncovers nearly 20 handguns, ammunition, and large capacity magazines. Grace Key has more on the firepower seized and how officers found it. This cache of illegal handguns and magazines was close to making its way into B.C. communities. On March 23rd, a man was trying to enter Canada through the Pacific Highway crossing. That's when a CBSA officer referred him to a secondary inspection and a dog was called in to assist. 
During this examination, a handgun was discovered that had been concealed behind the factory paneling of the traveler's vehicle. The first weapon was just the beginning. In all, officers discovered 19 handguns and 32 overcapacity magazines, all hidden behind various panels of the vehicle. Scott McCallum Osborne has now been charged on 27 counts related to the smuggling, illegal importation and possession of firearms. Court documents from Australia indicate a person with the similar name sent methamphetamine by mail into Australia between 2005 and 2008. 60 packages had been intercepted. Documents indicate Osborne was living in BC but visited Australia. Uh, this amount of firearms is a significant amount of firepower that the CBSA has taken off of the streets uh, and prevented from ending up in the wrong hands. Osborne is a Canadian citizen but was living in the United States at the time of his arrest. He's been released on $50,000 bail. Grace Key, Global News. A West Vancouver man who had his Ferrari impounded last summer after being clocked going 210 kilometers an hour over the Lionsgate Bridge learned his punishment today. Our Romina Dea was in court for sentencing and Romina, some might feel the punishment doesn't exactly fit the crime. Chris, many people online are wondering, what does it take to lose your license in this province? A trial date was set in this case, but defense and Crown struck a deal. They asked for a $750 fine, and the judge agreed. Did you plead guilty to avoid a trial? No comment from Yi Hao Wang, who once again showed up at court in disguise. Why should the public believe you that you're not going to do this again? You promised the judge you wouldn't. The 23-year-old paid his $750 fine before leaving. There was no accident here. There was no near accident. Uh, he was seen speeding and he was signaled to stop and he did so. Police caught Wang driving 210 kilometers an hour on the Lionsgate Bridge in July last year. The speed limit is 60. His quarter-million-dollar Ferrari was impounded for two months. He also received a 16-month driving prohibition. No, he's very sorry. He's, uh, he's been embarrassed. Um, he has to walk for 16 months. Um, he's uh, sold his vehicle because he's, uh, he's done with it. Wang has three prior convictions for excessive speeding. While the judge noted it is out of great luck no one was killed or hurt, he said it's essentially unheard of to rule outside a joint submission. Excessive speeding is not a criminal offense. It's a motor vehicle infraction. The judge called the $750 fine and previous driving prohibition imposed significant. So whether Wang uh, learned his lesson here, we'll have to see. He'll be walking for a few more months. His driving prohibition ends in November. West Vancouver police are not commenting on the fine. Back to you. All right. Thank you, Romina. A snag in the plans of one of the potential candidates for mayor in Vancouver. NPA hopeful Hector Bremner says he's been pushed out of the nomination process, alleging a stacked board. Tanya Beja explains. Chris, Hector Bremner wanted to be the NPA's candidate for mayor, but the board rejected him. 
The move comes as somewhat of a surprise because Bremner won the only open seat on city council during last year's by-election. But the NPA says they had serious concerns about his application. Initially, a green light committee reviewed his information. They interviewed him and initially they recommended him. The committee approved the application with uh, significant reservations and they were uh, significant enough that they did not want to put them in writing. The terms of reference um, are clear. They they consider a whole bunch of different things, uh, leadership skills, integrity, character, um, experience, business experience, uh, you know, a whole bunch of different factors. Bremner is the subject of two conflict of interest complaints stemming from his role with a PR firm. He says the NPA board is stacked by his opponent, whose supporters, he says, have made false accusations. I am electable and I have a big movement with thousands of people behind me and a lot of energy and a lot of momentum. We're not going to be uh, bullied, we're not going to be intimidated, we're going to continue to get our message out and we're not going to stop um, pushing forward on trying to build housing for people who, so they can live in the city. The NPA did approve three other candidates. They will decide on who will run for mayor on May 29th. Chris, back to you. Okay, thank you, Tanya. The province is following through on its promise to get rid of MSP premiums, but it's passing that cost of health care on to employers. The NDP is defending the payroll tax tonight, even though, as Richard Zussman reports, it could result in higher fees for everything from art classes to gym passes. Every day, the floor at the Delta Gymnastics Society is packed, but leaping and jumping may soon get more expensive for parents. The reason why, the province's new health payroll tax. Our budget has already been set, but our margin is very, very uh, narrow. The province is scrapping medical service plan premiums on January 1st, 2020. But to cover the cost, businesses with payrolls of more than $1.5 million will pay a nearly 2% tax to cover the costs. The gym figures that's about $26,000 to $30,000 extra a year. We don't have a lot of room to spare, so that would, we would have to be really creative. And it's not just your child's sports club that could be affected. Charity groups like the Y are grappling with how to deal with the new payroll tax. We would have to look, like I say, there's still a lot of information we really don't have. But Liberal MLA Ian Payton says the NDP did not fully think through the ramifications for parents and others. There's a comical old saying if you're a hunter. It's called ready, fire, aim. And that's what they seem to be doing. And as this tax seems to have misfired for nonprofits and charities, the province is considering a change. We're taking a look at what other provinces have done. Some provinces have uh, made a differential when it comes to the uh, threshold for when they begin paying to make sure that charities aren't using a lot of their donations to have to pay. As for when the change is coming, Carol James says it will be clear before the tax comes into effect next year. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And we'll bring in Keith Baldry now for a little bit more on this. Keith, the NDP really has its hands tied here with the realities of the budget. Yeah, the budget right here, it's a, it's a document that drives everything in, in terms of uh, government's agenda. And Carol James doesn't, simply doesn't have a lot of room to maneuver. So here's the numbers I'm talking about. Uh, on a plus $50 billion uh, uh, budget spending, she's only got a projected surplus of a tiny $219 million. That's less than 0.5% of the entire budget when it comes to spending. So that's one big number she's got to grapple with. Also, $880 million is the number that represents the, the revenue from those new taxes 
including the payroll tax. And without that money, she cannot balance the budget. So there's not a lot of room to make changes. And finally, on the spending side, things like fighting forest fires. Only $63 million is earmarked for fighting wildfires. Last year, more than half a billion dollars was spent. We've already got some big flooding occurring in this province that's going to cost more than anticipated. Uh, Carol James is bracing for what's going to happen on wildfires. Not a lot of room to maneuver here. I think there'll be some changes, but not a heck of a lot of them, uh, Chris, because if she wants to balance her budget, she's pretty well locked into her fiscal plan with not much room to move. Sounds like it. Okay, thanks, Keith. We'll go from tax policy to pet policy now. Declawing cats will no longer be allowed in this province. The College of Veterinarians of B.C. becoming the second province after Nova Scotia to ban the practice. The college says it will only be performed if it's medically necessary for the cat to survive. It's now considered inhumane and ethically unacceptable. The practice has also been banned in Australia, New Zealand, Israel, Brazil, the United Kingdom, parts of Europe, and some cities in California. Another sign tonight that home buyers aren't the only ones being squeezed these days. A new report says a growing number of Canadian renters are spending a lot more than they should on the roof over their heads, putting them at a crisis level of spending. But as Nadia Stewart tells us, the report also says that there is hope for the future. It is a troubling statistic. Almost one out of every five Canadian is spending more than half of their income on rent. And while the cost of living is going up, their paychecks haven't been. If you're spending more than half of your income on rent, how are you paying for food, transportation, childcare, soccer, music classes for the kids? A financial squeeze pushing people to rent perhaps longer than planned. According to the Canadian Rental Housing Index, between 2011 and 2016, nearly 400,000 people entered the rental market, particularly in Metro Vancouver. But here, more than 40% of renters are spending more than a third of their income on housing. And the problem continues to spread across the region. It's moving out into suburban, more rural areas. Burnaby, Coquitlam, Richmond actually display some of the highest uh, uh, proportions of renter households spending over 30% and over 50%. And even farther out on the Sunshine Coast. Seashelt actually displayed one of the worst um, ratios of households spending over 50% of their income on housing. Seashelt? In Seashelt, yeah. For many, the findings will come as no surprise. The report's authors say there is hope as municipal and provincial governments have been taking steps to tackle the problem. Critics say government's focus on market supply might not be the best solution. The new units that have been entering the rental market, um, Padmapper's most recent report is saying they average over $2,000 for a uh, one-bedroom unit. So these are not rents that working people can afford. And we simply can't rely on new market supply to solve this problem. A problem experts say will take all levels of government to help solve. Adios to Global News. Meantime, a new report says Metro Vancouver's luxury housing market is slowing down big time. Prices at the top end of the market dropped more than 7% in the six months ending in March, making that the worst performing luxury property market in North America. Analysts say the provincial government's 20% foreign buyers tax, speculation tax, and rising interest rates are all playing a role. Heads up if you take the SkyTrain at Granville Station. Starting May 26th, you'll have to use the Dunsmuir Street entrance because the escalators are being shut down for two years. Yes, you heard right, two years. After 32 years in operation, the escalators need to be replaced. 
The cost of the project, about $14.5 million. Passengers being warned to expect delays. So they, they, they serve the region really well. About 30,000 customers use these units every day. About 10 million customers every year. So they've served us really well. We've maintained them and gotten the most out of their life. But now it's time for new units. A move towards green power just south of the border is raising questions about the future of B.C. ferries. Washington State Ferries is converting its three largest ships to mainly electric power over the next few years. As Ted Chernecki reports, some are wondering why B.C. Ferries isn't electrifying its fleet, too. As soon as the NDP was elected to power, Premier Horgan announced a full review of B.C. Ferries. Everything was, and presumably still is, on the table. We asked B.C. Ferries if electrification was one of those things, but did not get an immediate reply. The people of Washington State are, are very concerned about climate change. They're very concerned about greenhouse gas emissions. And so as an agency, we're looking at our big polluters. So over the next couple of years, three of Washington State's bigger ferries will be refitted as hybrids. Half of the diesel engines will be ripped out and replaced with batteries until charging stations are installed portside. And then the goal is to go all electric. BC being late to the game. It's really frustrating. Um, we've got the innovation. We've got great schools here. We've got uh, investors. We just seem to be loving the, the, to chase the game. Take Norway, for example, the undisputed renewable energy king of the world. It's already using 100% electric ferries to ply waters that look strikingly similar to BC's coast. It's a serial missioning ferry, and that's very important for the environment. It's going to help the bottom line with respect to uh, lowering the, uh, getting rid of the cost of uh, fossil fuels to power them, and as well because we need to decrease the emissions uh, for for our fossil for the climate action targets that we need to hit. BC Ferries does have the Denman Island cable-driven ferry, but there are many shorter routes like Bowen Island to Horseshoe Bay, or the Gibson Ferry, or some of the Gulf Island runs. All would be candidates for electrification. Ted Chernecki, Global News. New video shows lava from Hawaii's Mount Kilauea bearing down on the neighborhood known as Leilani Estates. The volcano leaving a once lush landscape blackened beyond recognition. There was some good news today. The eruptions have slowed in all of the 12 fissures, allowing evacuees to return temporarily at least to pack up their most valuable possessions. But hazardous fumes are being released from the ground. And the volcanic activity could resume at any time. 35 homes and other buildings have been destroyed so far. The teenage boy who killed four people in Saskatchewan has been sentenced to life in prison. The teen, who was 17 at the time and can't be named, pleaded guilty to the 2016 shooting that killed two teenage brothers, a teacher, and a teacher's aide. Seven others were wounded. The judge called his actions senseless and horrific and worries he is a risk to reoffend. He won't be eligible for parole for 10 years. Well, Donald Trump throwing international relations into turmoil once again today, even if the move is popular with his base. The U.S. president arguing that by withdrawing from a landmark nuclear accord with Iran, he's making the world safer. Many analysts are concerned it does exactly the opposite. With the stroke of a pen, President Trump declaring the U.S. will pull out of the Iran nuclear agreement. We cannot prevent an Iranian nuclear bomb 
under the decaying and rotten structure of the current agreement. Laying out a list of flaws, President Trump says the deal did not do enough to stop Iran's nuclear development. So now he's reinstating U.S. sanctions, saying he hopes to force Iran back to the bargaining table. If the regime continues its nuclear aspirations, it will have bigger problems than it has ever had before. According to international inspectors, Iran is upholding its end of the bargain. The decision wildly unpopular among some of America's closest allies, the French president, German prime minister, and British foreign minister, all in Washington in recent days, hoping to change the president's mind. Today, President Obama, whose administration negotiated the deal, called the decision a serious mistake that erodes U.S. credibility. North Korea is going to say, how can I make a deal with one American president and then later and another American president can completely tank the deal. Here at home, questions over how this may hurt your pocket. Though experts say regarding higher gas prices, the wave may have already hit. A lot of people in the oil market have been expecting the president to withdraw from the deal, so oil prices have been rising already. Iran will want to make a new deal, the president says, adding he will be ready and willing. And Iran is ready to negotiate, but with the other countries that are still in the deal. President Rouhani says that if their needs are not met, they're ready to start enriching uranium faster than ever before. Blaine Alexander, NBC News, Washington. In Health Matters tonight, some amazing video that shows why so many people are suffering right now. It's from New Jersey, but a man wanted to show how bad pollen is this year. He bumps a tree with a backhoe, and you can see the explosion of pollen. More than one in six Canadians suffers from hay fever or seasonal allergies. Got an email from some folks up in 108 Mile today saying the pollen is everywhere up there, too. Well, it's been drilled into us for decades. Eat healthy and exercise to maintain a healthy heart. But doctors say we are not getting the message, and far too many of us, especially women and people of color, are walking time bombs. Aaron MacArthur reports. Carol Gooman walks almost every day in her North Shore neighborhood. A few years back, she noticed it was getting harder even to do moderate exercise. I was started getting really tightness in the back of my neck and my head. My muscles were really tightened up that I could feel it. It was no chest pain, no shortness of not the classic symptoms. And then my head would just kind of pound. As a nurse practitioner, she knew what to look for. But what made her most concerned was the fact heart disease runs in her family. My mom had heart issues at a young age. And it was difficult to get her diagnosis, but she was finally diagnosed with a heart disease. And my father, too, has a history of heart disease. He's had a heart sur stent surgery. Then he had actually carotid endurectomy as well. A new program called Save BC, based at St. Paul's, is looking at familial connections to heart disease. If a man under 50 or a woman under 55 have heart issues, then the attention immediately goes to the family. The risk for those people can be two to ten times greater. And most people are simply unaware. Yes, I mean, this disease really in families where heart disease occurs at a young age, um, for other family members, it's a ticking time bomb. While heart disease in older patients is stabilizing, in younger people the numbers are climbing, especially women, who have more cases of diabetes, more cases of high blood pressure, with higher mortality rates. A woman with heart disease is twice as likely to die, and yet in almost all cases, 
less likely to get a diagnosis quickly. This is a very, very important misconception. And in fact, this misconception has resulted in uh, what we believe is under-treatment of women, under-recognition of their risk factors and under-treatment of those risk factors. Save BC, looking to talk to more British Columbians about early-onset cardiac disease. A forum later this month set to shed more light on risks we should all know. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. As we continue our coverage of this year's 20th anniversary of the Courage to Come Back Awards, we focus on the recipient of the Physical Rehabilitation Honors. Jim Ryan was a pilot and healthy father of four heading for retirement when a freak accident in Hawaii left him in a wheelchair. But as Lynn Collier reports, he never gave up wanting to give back. This is the last place I walked. The last time he walked was two years ago. Jim and his wife Isabel were on a Hawaiian holiday. They were in the water on their way back to the beach when they dove under a wave. Isabel surfaced. Jim did not. I got twisted around and the wave drove my head into the water, into the sand. And I hit hard and I remember thinking, I am going to have a headache tonight. So now I'm underwater. And then the air starts coming out of my lungs, and I could see it bubbling out the side of my mouth. And then I could feel the water coming in. And I could, all I could think of is, gee, this is what it feels like drowning. At that point, Isabel found me, pulled my head out of the water. I remember she screamed, help, and I died. Lifeguards dragged him onto the beach and started extreme CPR. They told Isabel he was coming back to talk to him. They didn't expect what she said. You owe me another 30 years on this marriage contract. People, the lifeguards went, really? Like, that's what you have to say? No, he'll get this. This is funny. This January, Jim went back to Big Beach to thank the lifeguards personally. Thank you. You're welcome. Jim spent four months on a ventilator, unable to speak or breathe on his own, then five and a half at GF Strong in rehab. He credits his career as a pilot, 10 years in the Air Force, 15 years with WestJet with helping him get through it and the support of family and friends and technology. Alexa, turn on overhead light 100%. Okay. Press enter. Through his rehab, Jim met Rick Hansen and has become an ambassador for the Rick Hansen Foundation, educating people on how technology can help quadriplegics. Life isn't where you're from. Life is where you're going. People have had difficulties, including me, and you can't change the past. You have to learn from it, live with it. You can't ever forget it, but you have to keep going. Another thing that has changed is how Jim looks at people in wheelchairs. He says before, he would look away, not wanting to be seen as staring. Now I'm the guy in the wheelchair. And it's a little bit disappointing when people look away. So I say, when you see me, say hi. I always feel I'm just the guy in a wheelchair getting through life. Lynn Collier, Global News. Kind of puts your own problems in perspective, doesn't it? Including this one. Just in time for summer, vanilla ice cream might be hard to find or beyond your budget. We'll tell you why coming up right after the forecast. You might not feel much like ice cream for the next couple of days at least, but after that, let's find out from Christy what's coming. 
Thanks, Chris. Well, it was a beautiful day today. We hit record temperatures in Chilliwack at 31 degrees, but the rain's moving in now, and along with it, thunderstorms. So here are the areas that have the best chance of seeing those thunderstorms. It will be in the Fraser Valley, east in particular, out towards Hope, and then potentially the Coquihalla and Allison Pass area. But I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some in through the east metro Vancouver and up towards North Shore, and that's later this evening and through the overnight period. A little bit of lightning safety for you. Don't forget, lightning is attracted to tall objects. is best to head indoors if you hear thunder uh, and stay away from windows. Cars give you a little bit of protection, but not, not completely. And that rain is going to spread further inland. It has prompted Environment Canada to issue a special weather statement because they're concerned for flooding in these areas, basically east of Hope, all the way extending into the West Kootenai region, Caribou and the Central Interior regions as well. Here's the reason. We've had freezing level at 3,000 meters. Tonight, tomorrow, rain on the way 15 to 25 millimeters for those areas and a risk of thunderstorms so some isolated pockets could see an additional 10 millimeters of rain and then friday through the weekend we are back to heat soaring temperatures soaring freezing levels as well now this is your forecast for tomorrow so you can see the rain that we're talking about that extends from the north coast into prince george down through Cornell, along with that risk of thunderstorms and all the way across the south here and you can see temperatures are cooler so yes Yes, the freezing level's high right now. It's going to drop tomorrow and Thursday, but then it's going to soar again late in the week. South Coast region, we will see the rain, the bulk of it, overnight tonight. Tomorrow morning, just a chance of showers, and we're keeping our fingers crossed for some breaks of blue sky later in the day, but still a slight chance of showers. Still unsettled and cool on Thursday, but it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday that we're back to sunshine and warmth for everyone. And yes, back to ice cream weather. And a quick reminder, yes, stay in indoors if you hear lightning. Thank you to Julie for this. This was in uh, 100 Mile House just last night. Caught a good one. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks very much, Christy, and thanks, Julie, for that photo. Well, just in time for ice cream season, the most popular flavor of the summer treat could soon cost you a fortune if it's available at all. As Jeff Hastings reports, the skyrocketing price of vanilla is the reason. What flavor is that? Mint chip. Whiskey hazelnut. At East Vancouver's Ernest Ice Cream, there's also vegan chocolate and London Fog, but... There is no vanilla ice cream here. Forget Bitcoin, maybe you should look at investing in vanilla. A couple of years ago, this was worth about 20 US dollars. Today, it's about 500. Plain pricey, too much for a business's bottom line, leading to the tough decision to discontinue production of what's considered the most popular ice cream flavor in the world. The price is is quite high. Um, It's uh, more than quadrupled just in the last year up until it was made unavailable. Madagascar grows much of the world's vanilla. Last year, a tropical cyclone devastated crop production in the country. A sudden lack of supply on top of healthy demand, and we're paying for it. Forty-three dollars for two hundred thirty-seven millimeters. Who can afford that? Like the rich and famous. It is excessively, outrageously over the top. Vanilla's value means more security for the spice, even locking it up. For many, there's no acceptable substitute. When you're used to using pure, real vanilla, that's all you will and want to use. There should be price relief on the way, but it won't be soon, given the long lead time needed to grow it. It requires quite a lot of expertise and hand pollination and and curing it properly to really develop the flavors. This is the sweet cream. Plenty of time to explore other options. Jeff Hastings, Global News, Vancouver.
Doing some last minute stuff. Big news, because you've been working hard. Big news in baseball for a Canadian. Love to celebrate. Well, um, here's a guy who was drafted by the Blue Jays, didn't sign there, and ended up with Seattle. And boy, wow. are the Blue Jays getting a firsthand look at why they should have signed him. All right, Squires here with sports. Ouch. And uh, <laughs> yeah, watch out. Hot. Can bite. Oh, that's the worst thing in the world. Well, I can think of other things, but that's still a nasty injury. Um, and this job is not supposed to have injuries. That's the one you've got to watch out for. In his last start, Ladner's James Paxton struck out 16 Oakland A's in just seven innings, the most strikeouts in one game by a Canadian-born pitcher ever. So does Paxton have an encore for his game in Toronto tonight? Yes, he does. And it's better than 16 strikeouts in one game. Here we go. The big maple on the mound. Randy Johnson did it. Short arm slot. Oscar Hernandez, new. You can take a seat. Josh Donaldson, you can join him. Okay, let's give him some uh, run support here because in the last game when he struck out 16, he didn't get a decision because his relief pitchers blew it. He didn't have a lot of run support in front of him to begin with, but he gets some here. Nelson Cruz scores D. Gordon. That made it 2 nothing in the third. Back to Paxton. Through five, still a no-hitter. Yan Jervis, Solarte, take a seat. Now he needs defense behind him. Hits it. What a Kyle Seeger. Out. That's brilliant on Kevin Pilar. Eighth inning. Remember, Paxton has never had a complete game in his career in the majors. Strikeout. Six. Six strikeout of the game. No-hitter. Now two are out in the ninth. This is it. Josh Donaldson at the plate. It's Seeger again. Seager. Got it. James Paxton. No hitter. Ladner's James Paxton. Second Canadian to do it. First time it's happened since 1945. The Big Maple is the big man tonight. Good for him. The Winnipeg Jets, of course, missed their chance to win their series at home last night against the Predators. So now... They have to go back to Nashville for Game 7 on Thursday night. Most people thought this series would go 7, but they thought the teams would all win their home games and the games would all be close. Only two of the six games have been close, and each team has lost twice at home. Now, you think the Jets would be upset at themselves and not happy with the thought of being asked to win three games in Tennessee to take this series. But their head coach, Paul Maurice, is actually quite happy about a seventh game. I think part of the being in the line of work um, is probably the best part of the job, right? You don't always enjoy it, but that, sure, I guess pressure's the word. For me, it's always been juice that you get out. It's that feeling that's there all day, but game seven, you can start, I can feel it starting now, right? It's the be- it is the best part of the job, so I'm looking forward to it. You know, it's amazing that I cut myself and didn't put a string of swear words together. <laughs> Knowing you, it's That's amazing. That's professional right there. Uh, we mentioned yesterday that linebacker Bo Lacombo is coming home to play for the BC Lions again after a season in the NFL where he was on three different teams' practice rosters. He has decided to return to where he used to play and, of course, where he grew up. And he's already at Lions headquarters getting ready for the uh, coming season. There may not be a CFL player more pumped to get the season started than Bola Combo. Bo's back in the lion's den after a self-imposed CFL hiatus that saw him spend all of last year trying unsuccessfully to catch on with three different NFL teams. 
Is it good to be back? It's pretty good to be back. You know, this is home. This is where it all started. You know, um, they drafted me back when I was in college. And so it's, uh, it's, it's bittersweet. It's good to be back home. Bittersweet because the last time Lacombo wore Lions colors, he was coming off a West Division All-Star selection. In his two full seasons with BC, he proved his worth on special teams and as a reserve linebacker. Credentials he hoped would translate into an NFL gig. But like countless CFL players before him, cracking an NFL roster as a free agent was just too high of a hurdle to overcome. One of the most famous sayings I heard is, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. And I feel like that's kind of what happened, but you just got to bounce back from it. You know, that's what life is all about is going through adversity and being able to bounce back from it. I think he's, we're going to get a committed football player. We're going to get a committed uh, individual teammate. And uh, more importantly, we're going to get a good community player. And he understands what were ex- their expectations here. And uh, we're just really ready to roll out and let him play. Those expectations no longer include the National Football League. Lacombo is once again all in with the Lions. BC knows what he can do as a special teams ace. Now the plan is for him to take it to the next level and become a stud linebacker. At this point, I want to play football. I think that's the biggest thing is being able to play football. I'm healthy. I feel good. I feel um, I feel much better. I have a, a clear mindset and a peace of mind. So I'm happy to be back and to be able to contribute as much as I can here with the BC Lions. Motivated to get back in the gym after watching him? Uh, get back in the gym? <laughs> oh, sorry. Never sorry, mind. Sorry, get in the gym. That's right. <laughs> How did I get taller than you? So you may have seen it, the Kentucky Derby on the weekend, uh, but you may not have known there was a little BC magic going on during the race. Yes, quite a BC connection. In fact, um, if you breed the winner, which John Gunther and Tanya Gunther of this province did, mm-hmm. you get a Kentucky Derby trophy. So there'll be a Kentucky Derby trophy in Langley nice. this year because, as we said, two BC people on a farm in Kentucky bred this year's winner. Coming to the wire, he's just awesome! Justify has won the Kentucky Derby! Justify is a big horse from a not-so-big farm. Bred in Kentucky by the BC father-daughter team of John and Tanya Gunther, it was a case of a small but smart breeding operation slaying all the giants. We're a small boutique farm. Uh, we try to keep our brood mares down to 20 to 30 mares. And uh, you're competing against people that have five, 600 mares on their farm alone, the bigger operations. And that's why it's so unique. Even more unique, the Gunthers had two of their creations in the Derby. They also bred Vino Rosso, who finished ninth. To actually have two horses entered in the Kentucky Derby, the odds are phenomenal. The walls of John's home in Langley shows that he has been in the horse racing game a long time. But even so, he likes to give Tanya most of the credit for the success of their breeding operation. She turned the farm right around. Like she goes, she does a lot of research and she will spend hours just mating one mare to one stallion. Her knowledge is so great, she knew Justify was a champion, so she tried to talk her dad into not putting him up for auction where he was sold for 500000 U.S. When I sold him, my daughter actually cried. You know, she tried to talk me into not selling him. And somebody came over and thought a horse stepped on her foot. She was crying so much. <laughs> she knew. She knew. And it's Justify and Mike Smith turning for home in front. 
Justify also became the first horse to win the Derby without running as a two-year-old in 136 years. He couldn't run last year because he was too big. They measured his stride and compared it to Secretariat, and his stride's actually a little bit longer than Secretariat. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's just a big, muscular, uh, strong colt. It's like a man amongst boys.